Well, if you will, uh, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And if you are able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father God, your word is a reminder to us today to just embrace the love of your Son, Jesus Christ, as you have poured it out. Dear God, we stumble in this walk that we have as Christians, and it is always comforting to hear the words of a prayer, asking that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of your Son, and that that grounding in love would bring us understanding and wisdom so that we can be your church. And so, God, this morning I pray that you would speak to us in your word, that you would inspire us through your word, and that we would understand those things that are not understandable. And that is why we need the love of your Son. Teach us, God, we pray, and be in this room with us. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Have a seat. Bless you guys. The Apostle Paul, at this point of the letter to the Ephesians, is now saying a prayer. These verses uh, 14 through 21 are actually a prayer from Paul to the church. And I think, as I was studying through this and praying through this over the last week or two, it, it, it just dawns on me exactly how much love Paul has for the churches that God established through him. The Apostle Paul expresses a lot of teaching to the churches through the New Testament epistles that he writes. But I think one thing that we see here is that Paul loves the churches that God placed under his care. And I think what we see right here in Ephesians chapter 3, in this short passage, this is literally a prayer from the Apostle Paul to the church. Because he's bowing his knees there in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now let's understand what Paul is writing here, because the context of chapters uh, 2 and 3, primarily chapter 3, is that Paul is telling the, the Christians here at Ephesus, you may be Gentiles, but you are now part of God's family. You are not second-class citizens in the church. You are not second-class citizens in the kingdom. All who come to Christ, all who are bought with the blood of Christ, are one in the same family under the name of Jesus. 
And we all have the same spiritual Father, that same Heavenly Father, God Almighty. And that's what Paul's writing about here in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now let me pause right here. We have to clarify this because there have been many who have taken this one verse out of context. Verses 14 and 15, where 15 talks about uh, that, they, that every family in heaven and on earth is named after the Father God Almighty. Some will take this and, and try to teach, and you may have heard this, that all of us, regardless of whether we are saved or not saved, whether we are Christian or not Christian, we are all God's children. That is the doctrine of universal salvation, and universal salvation is clearly unbiblical. Not all of humanity can claim to be the children of God. Now, we are all created in God's image. Amen? Even those who are not saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, those who do not know Jesus at all, they still carry the image of God, and we respect all humanity likewise, because if we carry the imprint of God in us, then there is something there that we respect, even though that sinful person who rejects God still carries God's image. That does not mean that that person is necessarily in God's family, you see. And so Paul here in verses 14 and 15, he's praying specifically for the Christians. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In order for God to be the Father, God is the Father of all, but the implication here of the word family is actually the word that comes from fatherhood. I bow my knees before the Father, you could say, from whom everyone is fathered. In order to be fathered by God himself, we must be saved through the blood of Jesus. Then and only then can we call him Father. Those who are not saved cannot call God the Father, Father. There is no relationship there. Only when they, those who are separated from God by sin are redeemed and restored through the blood of Jesus can they ever know God as Father nor, or, or can they ever call Him Father. So we cannot misunderstand this text that all children in the world are children of God. That is not the case here. So Paul is specifically speaking directly to the Christians, that from whom every family who have been fathered by God himself through the blood of Jesus Christ, both in heaven and on earth, is named. That according, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Notice here this emphasis of the prayer. Paul is praying to the church here that he asks that the Father in heaven who loves his children may pour out according to his glory strength and power through the Spirit to our spirit. So in other words, what Paul is actually praying here is that God's Holy Spirit would be poured out amongst us into our spirit and there would be this Re, uh, this, this connection that was not there before. Likewise, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit into our spirit 
if you look in the, in the, at the language here in verse 16, what Paul is actually calling for is that this is a continual pouring out, this continual granting of strength with the power through the Spirit in us. How is it that we understand Christ and his salvation for us? How do we understand Jesus as our Savior apart from the help and the power of the Holy Spirit? That's really what's being spoken in here. This prayer from Paul is that my prayer is that God will continue to pour out his Holy Spirit in you so that you will continually be able to understand through your spirit what Christ himself has done. Why is it that so many reject salvation in Jesus Christ? It's real simple. It's because the Spirit of God has not been poured out into them, or if God is calling someone's soul, someone's spirit, into relationship with Jesus Christ, this person is in constant battle with the Holy Spirit with theirs. I don't know about you, but think about whenever it was that God called you to salvation. Was there a struggle? For many people there is. For many people, there is a rebellion against God in the Spirit. I don't want this. I don't understand this. Dear God, leave me alone. Amen? What Paul is praying here is that God, through His glory, would pour out His Spirit and give the power to connect with our inner being. What is that inner being? Don't, don't we all have this part of us that is not the physical, right? There is, there's, a, there's, there's two parts to the human being. There is the physical body, but then there is the inner being, that inner soul of who we are. Don't we have that inner side to us that we hope no one else can see? Can we get an amen on that? There is something, folks, about the inner spirit that we want to keep private, but then at the same time, we want everyone to know what we're thinking, don't we? That's why Facebook has tapped into something that has just part of the human nature. Right, Facebook didn't make billions of dollars off of technology. Facebook made, tech, made billions of dollars off of the human condition. There is something about the inner being of all human beings that it's inside of us, it's secret, but then we want everybody to hear what we're thinking and doing. Now, there is some discretion there, right? We don't want... The Christian hopefully understands that, that there is parts of our secret self that is just between us and God. There is something about the secret self that when we're connected with the Lord, it's not something that we have in, in, envisioned or in done on ourselves. There's something about the power of the Holy Spirit here that God himself is pouring into our inner being. And so Paul is praying for this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. How is it that we even know how to be a Christian? How is it that we even have the strength to speak the truth of the gospel to be a witness. It's through that power that God pours into our inner being, through His Spirit. God is giving us a part of Himself. 
First of all, through the blood of Jesus Christ by forgiving us of our sin and washing that clean, but then also by giving us the power of His Spirit inside of us. That's what makes us new, amen? Whenever we come to faith in Jesus Christ, whenever that forgiveness has been granted, when we know without a doubt that God has given us mercy and has poured out grace upon us upon grace, when we know that we know that we know that we've been forgiven, there is something that changes in us. And what Paul is expressing here is that change is God's spirit is now dwelling with us. Wow. And so Paul is praying this prayer to the Christians in Ephesus. Then in verse 17 he continues, and here's, here's the result of that spirit being poured into us. It's God's spirit, but that spirit is also the spirit of Christ. verse 17 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth you see this prayer of Paul is that God would pour out his spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts And how does Christ dwell within us? It's through faith. Faith is that trust that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for us, that trust that our sins have been forgiven, that trust that we have been made new. How many of us feel Christ dwelling in our hearts at the moment? Have you really pondered that this week? Is is Jesus dwelling in your heart right now? Or is this Christian life, this drudgery, and this check-off box list? Are we just being good people? Or is Christ really dwelling in us? See, this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. That you would not be fake Christians who follow the law like the false teachers were trying to tell the Ephesian church. You remember the false false teachers that Paul deals with at the first part of chapter 3 is that there were so-called prophets coming into the church telling them that you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the law, that this Jesus may have saved you, but you're missing the biggest part of salvation, and that is the law, so let us teach you what the law is. They were trying to add to the grace of Christ. And so Paul here... In chapter 3, verse 17 says, I want to pray that Christ dwells in you. That's all you need. Because if Christ is dwelling in your hearts, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. I don't know about you, but you you understand, where where is the foundation of of our walk with Christ? Where is the foundation of this salvation life that we live? It is that we are grounded in love. That love is the love of Christ. Amen? What is the foundation of our, of our Christian walk? It's not that what we have done. It's not that we've shaken the preacher's hand. It's not that we walk the, the Christian life. It's that Jesus Christ himself dwells in us and is, that love of Christ is the foundation of who we are. Amen? Wow. I mean, that's an amazing prayer from Paul. And this idea of the love of Christ 
permeates throughout all of Scripture. This love of Christ is the foundation of our walk with Him. This love of Christ is the foundation of our even being able to understand Scripture. I would argue that based on this text and a couple others we're going to look at here, that without the love of Christ, we have no ability at all to understand what we're reading in the Word. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can even fathom what God is saying. And, 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 and the, the testimony is, all, is repeated all the time when I hear people who say, before I was a Christian, I didn't understand the Bible. Then and only then, after Jesus Christ saved me, and I then knew that I was forgiven, suddenly the words of the Bible became alive. Have you ever heard that testimony? That's what Paul's praying here. And so whenever we are trying to share the gospel with someone who rejects the gospel, someone who rejects Christ himself, the reason that it's a struggle is they don't understand the word. And we're trying to teach them what the word says, and we should continue to strive to do that. But let's understand, let's don't get frustrated because they don't understand what we understand. They never will until Jesus Christ changes them. Now, we can continue to preach the word. We can continue to speak scripture into the lives of people who do not know Christ because I'm, that, that, that is exactly where people hear the gospel. That is exactly how the Holy Spirit works inside of someone's heart. Through the words of scripture, they begin to stir and to struggle. There's something here that's being told to me, and I'm hearing it, but I don't understand it, but it's messing me up. Amen? My prayer is that those who do not know the gospel, that they would get messed up. So, and, and what that is, it's, it's traditionally been called the hound of heaven chasing after their soul. Amen. You ever heard that phrase? There's a classic poem from the Puritans that speaks about the hound of heaven chasing after the lost soul. Then and only then do they ever have any hope of understanding this salvation through Jesus Christ. And so Paul's prayer here in verse 17 is that Christ himself may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So what is the problem here in in, in the, the Ephesian church, they, this was a church that was full of Gentile Christians who had come out of the Greek culture and the Roman culture of philosophies and mythologies and great learning. Without the Greeks and the Romans, the Western civilization that we currently know would not be what we have. This is one of the reasons that it is still important for Christian classical schools to continue to to teach some of the foundations of of classical learning that come directly through the Greeks and the Romans. The reason we do that is because at the early stages of Christianity, all of that was the foundation of the church. And through understanding these kind of things, then and only then can we then begin to fathom what is being written in Scripture. And understanding that even though the Greeks and the Romans had pagan philosophies and pagan uh, uh, mythologies, 
they still had this, this foundation of knowledge and philosophy that Paul himself is going to borrow in how he organizes the book of Romans and many of the lectures that are the, many of the letters that he writes. But Paul's caution here is don't allow the knowledge of the pagans and the philosophy of the pagans to surpass the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's saying here that in order to understand this mystery of the gospel, remember last week at the first part of chapter 3, Paul emphasizes that his prayer was that they would understand the mystery of Christ. And what is this mystery? This mystery is that God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. Why would he do that? That's a mystery. Second part is, why would God allow the Gentiles to partake in that love and that grace? That's a mystery. And so what Paul is writing here is that this love of Christ will actually grant you knowledge and wisdom that surpasses that mystery. Amen? He says that being rooted in Christ's love in verse 17, you may have strength in verse 18 to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Of this love of Christ. What does he mean here? By, that's an interesting language there in verse 18. How many people here loved geometry in high school? Did I just step on some toes? Did I just bring up painful memories in geometry class? Do y'all remember geometry class? What was geometry all about? Geometry was about the mathematics of the three-dimensional world that we live in. That's really what geometry is. And how many dimensions do we have? We have height, we have width, we have depth. What is Paul talking about here? In verse 17 and 18 he says, Through the grounding of Christ's love in you, you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints this mystery of Christ, all of its fullness, everything that there is that Jesus Christ fills this world with, Jesus being poured out upon this world through his church, everything that, God, that the gospel is, its breadth, its length, its height, its depth, his prayer is that we would, through the love of Christ, understand every square inch of the gospel in its fullness as it manifests in the church and in the world that we are in. Amen? That's Paul's prayer. Now, Augustine, St. Augustine also speaks about this passage. Now, his, his allegory here is that this breadth and this length and this height and this depth, Augustine says this also speaks about Jesus on the cross, the breadth being his hands stretched on the cross beam. The length being from the ground up into the point of his body on the cross. His height, that very top of Jesus' head where they nailed that sign telling everyone his charge is being the king of the Jews. And his depth, how far Jesus would go to save every one of us. That's St. Augustine's take on this text. Did Jesus Christ love you enough to die for you? Was it a shallow thing? Was it just a surfacy, 
okay, Jesus is a good teacher. Uh, I'll just read his words just along with every other philosopher and teacher of human history. He's just right up there with all of them. Or is there something greater that Jesus is and has done through his church? Paul's prayer here to the Ephesian church is that there is much more to this Jesus Christ than you ever will know. And my prayer is that through the love of Christ being rooted in that love, that love will give you the ability to fathom the depth of what Christ has done. And that love will give you the ability to comprehend the words in Scripture so that you could then speak it to others, that you could comprehend the depth of the mystery, that you could even begin to fathom how much love Jesus Christ has for you. Wow. Do you still struggle with that sometimes? How can Jesus love me? (laughs) You ever deal with that? See, Paul's prayer here is that through this love of Christ, we may begin to comprehend all that Jesus has done, but also all that Jesus is filling in this fallen world of ours. And he continues here in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. This love of Christ is greater than all philosophy and learning. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that amazing? When we come to Christ, or we, when we first come to Christ and the Holy Spirit has drawn us to repentance and salvation, is there not an eagerness? Can we say that in the beginning we have this puppy love with Jesus? And there's nothing wrong with using that. I think I, I love watching new Christians. Aren't they just amazing? They have this puppy love with Jesus that is naive and exciting and energetic. Now, it has to mature from there, but in the very beginnings of a new Christian's life, I just I love watching that. Amen? The problem is we want to keep it there in that immaturity, in that puppy love stage. Through maturity in Christ, we will get deeper in love with him, and he will get deeper in love with us. It's just like a marriage, right? Right? Whenever a married couple gets together, and, and you know, when I do marriage counseling with the married couple, boy, they are in love. Amen? Can't stay away from each other. Boy, they're just a, this magnetic attraction that, wow, there's something there, right? And then six months into the marriage, you figure out you can't stand this person. There's something that they do that just irritates you to no end, right? A marriage goes beyond that. And and, and the language here that Paul is using is so, so rich. This love of Christ, he he prays, would fill us with all the fullness of God, that we just don't have this surfacey puppy love with God the Father, that we begin to have such an intimate growth and relationship with him through Christ and through God's Spirit that we become so full of God that there's no more room. We become so full of God's presence and so full of the love of Christ that it oozes out of us and and everyone just gets all sloppy wet because of our love of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Can we get sloppy wet with Jesus to the point that everybody else gets splattered with it? Amen? Can we use that language? I think that's what Paul's talking about here. His prayer for the church is that you would be so in love with Christ because Christ is so in love with you. 
that this love gives you an understanding that you'll never, never fathom without it. Now flip over here to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Philippians chapter 4. Paul speaks about this same uh, imagery in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the same language in Ephesians 3.19, where he says, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Now flip over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This language of, of the role of love here in understanding is such a rich truth. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the role that love plays in knowing Christ and knowing all that there is to know. Verse, uh, chapter 8 verse 1 in 1 Corinthians. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now, I love the way the King James translates this. The King James says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. This idea of biblical charity is the idea of biblical love, and it is this love of Christ that edifies us. What does that mean to edify and to build up? It means this love of Christ makes us the human beings in Christ that we are destined to be. And that is more important and more valuable and more rich than any knowledge that you can gain through the academic disciplines. Now, I will argue this. You know me, I still love a valuable education, right? Education is important to me. I think we need to be smart people. We don't need to be dumb people. I think education is beneficial. But let's understand that no matter how smart, quote-unquote, we get, there is the love of Christ that makes us more valuable and more knowledgeable about God and the world than anything else. Amen? Because too much knowledge can give us too much pride. <laughs> That's what Paul's writing here in verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. <coughs> this knowledge of whether or not food offered to idols is valuable or not is irrelevant, he says. Knowledge puffs up. So we could know everything there is to know about the Mosaic Law. We could know everything there is to know about Scripture. We could know everything there is to know about theology. The problem is we fall into a legalism, and we miss the love of Christ. This is one of the problems that I do see in in the Baptist churches over the last few years, and many people have said this. We've got young men coming out of seminaries who are self-taught in a lot of ways, and then they go into seminary and they get more knowledge and they become so arrogant, and, and I know this and I know that, and let me tell you what you're doing wrong, that they miss the love of the gospel. That's the problem. 
And so Paul here emphasizes the emphasis of love, of the love of Christ. He, he tells us here in Ephesians chapter 3, I pray for you that God would pour out this love of Christ and let that love of Christ be the foundation of who you are. And then you will understand this mystery of the gospel greater than any philosopher could ever imagine. Because Paul closes out his prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, now, to, now this is the benediction of his prayer. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, whenever we speak about the gospel, when we speak about our, our salvation, we must give God the glory. And we must close out all of our prayers by giving God glory. May now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Is that not the role of God? <laughs> is, is God's nature not just more, more powerful and more grand and more gracious than we could ever imagine? Is that not an appeal to us as Christians? Are we not drawn to that like two lovers are drawn together? Wow. Let's understand this as well as I close. Let's remember this point that Paul emphasizes. The love that we have for God cannot be a love that we initiate. No matter how much we try to love God, we will always fall short. And this is the foundation of the gospel, that God loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the, 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 the power of God's love is that He loved us first. He's the one that pursued us through His Holy Spirit, and then through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the love that we have for God at best is a response to that. But God pours out His Spirit in us. And He pours out this love and makes that love a foundation for us as Christians. So that anything that we try to understand in this Word comes alive. Anything that we try to understand about this relationship we have with each other in the church surpasses anything we can fathom. Isn't that amazing? How, I mean, how is it that Christians can love people that are just unlovable? Do we know a few people like that? <laughs> Only through the foundation of Christ's love can that ever happen. And so as Paul prays for the Ephesian church, I want to pray for you. I want this prayer to be the prayer for this church. That God would continually pour out His love upon us. That He would continually pour out His love into you and let the foundation of who you are as individuals and the foundation of your families be that love of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. 
Father God, we do thank you for the truth of your gospel. And we humbly stand before you this morning asking that you will always and again and again and again pour out the forgiveness of, through your Son, Jesus Christ, upon us. And that, dear God, you would build up in us a love that we cannot comprehend apart from your presence. The mystery of the gospel is so beyond us that we must depend upon you to even fathom an, an inkling of what it is. We know it through experience. We know it through the connections we have with you. And dear God, you started that connection. You, you, you drew us to yourself. And for that, we're grateful. And God, I pray for Sovereign Grace Baptist Church that as we pray for how you wish to use us in this community, how you wish to use us for your kingdom, please remind us, God, that it is not head knowledge that gets us there. It is the truth of your word that we only understand through your grace. And so I pray for your mercies upon us, and I pray for your blessing on each and every family here. Please pour out your love into them, and pour out your spirit always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.